The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who have need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. How are you? Good. I got a question for you. Have you ever lost something in the couch? Yeah? What have you lost in the couch? Yeah. Rubber bands? Yeah. How about you? Remote. Remote? Oh, that's the worst one. Michael. A DS game. Ooh, that's an expensive one. <laughs> yeah. uh, coin, like coin? Devin. Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards. Um, my headset for PlayStation. Headset for PlayStation. Mm. Now, how long does it normally take you to find something when it's lost in the couch? Yeah. Maybe like a day. Maybe a day? An hour? An hour? Five minutes. Five minutes? I'm going to call you next time. All right. Five minutes is good. 20 minutes. 15 minutes. Once I lost something uh, in the old car that I grew up in. When I grew up, we had one two-door car, and we fit all six people of our family in it. I lost something in that thing, and it was gone for seven years. It was some little McDonald's toy. You know when you go to McDonald's and you get those toys? It was some little toy. I remember it, like its head did something and I lost it in the crack of the back seat of the car. And we couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. We finally, we were going to sell the car and we were cleaning it out. And I was much older then. And I stuck the little wand that you use to suck up everything. I stuck that all the way down there and I hit something and I shoveled it back out and there was that toy from seven years ago. It took forever to find that. 
Now, when you find something that you lost in the couch, whether it's five minutes in world record time or if it's seven years later, how do you feel? Yeah. It could be mad, sad, or angry because those are all frustrating experiences, right? Probably happy because you found it. Happy because you found it. You can be excited. Excited, yeah. We go through a whole range of emotion when we find something that we've lost. And a lot of these things, they're important to us, but they're kind of, you know, toys or games or something like that. And the text that we have today, Jesus talks about rejoicing. Rejoicing is like when you're excited or happy or anything else. You have a lot of joy. Rejoicing. When you find, or at least when God finds, a sinner. Now, a sinner is not a remote or a McDonald's toy. What's a sinner? Yes, Ashley. Someone who does bad things. Someone who does bad things. Are there any sinners in this room? Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael had something very honest for us. What was it? All of us. Ugh. Now let's double check this. Have any of you ever done anything wrong? Yep, looks like it checks out. <laughs> yeah. Now it's, it's, it doesn't feel good to be called a sinner, does it? Well, you don't stay that way. God loves you. God loves you very, very much. And no matter what you do in this life, whether you lose a hundred McDonald's toys in the backseat of the car or anything else, God will keep loving you. When God, said God, when God says God loves you, that never, never stops, and it never, never ends. And when you know that love, and when you share that love, there's rejoicing, there's excitement and happiness, not only with God and not only in heaven, but there's happiness among us too. It makes me smile when I see you acting as disciples should. And I think it makes you smile too. Think about when you do something good for another person. Think about when you help out a friend or even a stranger. Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel good when you see one of your friends sitting here do the same thing? Yeah. There's rejoicing even here among the saints and sinners, the good and the bad, when we do discipleship things. So this next week, I want you to do two things. One is the same thing I tell you to do every week. Look for a spot to be that disciple. Look for a spot to help out, to give what you have to another person, to be kind. But I want you to do a second thing. I want you to rejoice when you see it happen outside of you too. When you see a friend or a neighbor, I want you to be happy and to show it. Sometimes it's a smile, sometimes it's a laugh, sometimes it's a cheer. But be happy. Rejoice. Sound good? All right. Should we pray? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the celebration you have in us. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We give you thanks for all the lost things that are found, including us. We ask that you might rejoice over all the world, that all of your lost sheep might be found, that all of those who don't know your love might know it. And then ultimately, we might share with one another what you've first given us. In your name we pray. Amen. Yep, we have a snack.
the name of Jesus, amen. We've talked about the same thing over the past two weeks. And if you remember two weeks ago, it began with a table, right? It began with that parable that starts out sounding like table etiquette. If you're invited to a wedding party, sit at the back so you may be invited forward instead of sitting at the front so you may be invited backwards. But instead of table etiquette, I came down and I believe we came down together. That is quite possible that God's talking about more than just being at a wedding. I think, and the text around it supports, that there are several tables in our lives and that we are not to assume that we are the head of any of them of our time, of our money, of our possessions, of our family, of our friends, of our own very lives, our waking and our sleeping. We are not the head of the table. Instead, we have been invited by God to sit at the right and at the left. We've been invited by God to a very high place at the table. But we are to assume, just like throughout all scripture, at the table, every table we have is God's. The second week, Jesus decided to say it more bluntly. Following that text in scripture comes the next one, and Jesus says in a very strong way, in the way that grates against us and grates against our very existence and being that if you do not hate family, possessions, all you have, if you do not pick up the cross and forsake all you have, you are not a disciple of God. So we said two things. One, that Truly, discipleship is more, more than just what we attribute to being a good Christian in this world quite often. Discipleship is a whole life orientation of everything that you have belonging to God. And then living life out through that. If the table didn't convince you, then perhaps that would. Then we said the second thing. Now, this is not salvific. That before you took the next breath and before you took the next step and before you did a single thing, that God already loved you, already does love you, always will love you. That discipleship does not save you. It simply brings you, by the grace of God, into communion with the God who is here, moving and dwelling in our midst. The text today comes out of the gospel in Luke that's often called the lost chapter, not because we didn't know where it was, but rather it's because in this chapter we have three lost stories. We have the parable of the lost sheep, we have the parable of the lost coin, and following it we have the parable of the prodigal son. Now the prodigal son I think is pretty familiar to all of us, but in these three we have these lost things that are found, and much rejoicing takes place in a variety of formats and fashions. These two are often seen as secondary. After all, in our society today, not too many of us still have sheep, and our silver coins are worth 25 cents. So we don't pay a whole lot of attention to these. We still pay attention to the family because family is still important to us. But I would say that each of these put in, puts into a different light the aspect of everything that can be at a table. All of your farm, which is your sheep, all of your farm, which is whatever your work is, all of your farm, which is whatever you do at home, your sheep is represented in the first parable. All of your money, 
Whether your silver coin is worth a day's wage or whether your silver coin is worth, coin is worth 25 cents, that's your money. And the second parable, and all of your life, all of your relationships, all of who you are, your very descendants, that's represented in the prodigal son. Again, at every table that we have of our time, of our possessions, of our money, of our lives, we have things that are lost. If we're to take chapter 14 and connect it to chapter 15, we're to assume that the sheep do not belong to the shepherd, that the coins do not belong to the woman, and that the son does not belong to the father. All that we have, all that we are, belong to God. There's a special church word for taking care of something with all of your heart. Just like the shepherd who goes looking for the one lost sheep. There's a word for taking care of something with all that you are. Just like the woman who turns over her house looking for the lost coin. There's a word for taking care of something with your whole being that we say in church. Does anybody know what that word is? You can answer if you want. Stewardship. Jan gets a gold star. Stewardship. Now, I've intentionally avoided this word for the first two sermons because if you're like me, there is a temptation that whenever the pastor says stewardship, you think in your head, here comes the money grab, right? Stewardship does not begin and end with your wallet. However, it does include it. Stewardship is the entirety of your life. It's the metabolism of everything that you have. Stewardship is all of it. And an orientation of keeping it just like you would keep everything else. There's one thing that I think of when I think of stewardship and it informs me of this whole life orientation, and that's the farm that I grew up on. Many of you have heard about this farm over the course of different sermons. Many of you have heard this farm in different stories that I tell. What I don't often say is that my family didn't own the farm. You see, we own the land that our house is on and the barn is on and the shed's on and everything over to the corner and all that totals up to like, I don't know, two and a half, maybe three acres. All the farmland that we farmed and still do belongs to my grandparents. And then there's some off in the distance that belong to my great aunt. When I was a kid, I simply assumed that the farm was ours because I walked all over it and I rode in the tractor and dad controlled all that happened over the farm. And so why would I not assume that the farm is ours? But as I grew up, eventually I figured out that grandpa and dad shared responsibility over the farm that touched our land and grandpa and my great aunt, or my dad and my great aunt, shared responsibility over the land that we farmed elsewhere. But I'll tell you what, it didn't change the work that my dad did, that my mom did, that my brothers did, that I did when it came to that farm. We still cared for it out of the depth of our very being because it was still our vocation to care for the farm. We still cared for it like it was our very own because 
we knew that in our hands and our feet, we were not only expressing what we thought ought to be done with the farm, but we are expressing what the generations before us had done as well. We were stewards of the very best ability that we had of my grandfather's and of my great aunt's farm. All that we have our farms, our homes, our lives, our money, all of it. We are stewards. That doesn't mean you love it less. That doesn't mean you treat it differently. That means that when you go to make decisions about every one of these things, you take into account how is God's will done? The kingdom come, God's will be done. How is that happening? And what's right in front of me? God's work, our hands, right? One more thing. These two parables, they're told in light of something that the scribes and the Pharisees recognize. This man eats with sinners. When you read the Gospels, always assume that you're the sinners. I won't make you do a hand check like I did with the, with the kids earlier. There's two reasons for that. One, you are. If I'm going to be blatantly honest as your pastor, you are the sinners. I know it to be true. I'm sorry. Two, that's where the grace is. That's where the grace is. God steps down from heaven to eat with the sinners. God steps down from heaven to heal with the sinners. God steps down from heaven to work miracles and signs and astounding things among the sinners. Thanks be to God that that happens. Because I'll tell you what, God is going to step down from heaven day after day after week after week, eating with us, healing with us, turning our hearts into hearts that are truly discipleship hearts, that's what God does with sinners, and that's what God does with us. And all that you have, whether it be your wallet, your home, or anything else, know that before you take that next step, that God eats with you, that God drinks with you, at this table, and at every other. God dwells and lives with us. May we be good stewards of the gifts that we're given. Thanks be to God. Amen.